The Lean Berets reporting for duty, the source for fitness and food education with a noble purpose. Fasten your seatbelts and hold on to your carrots. You're listening to the Lean Berets radio show at theleanberets.com. We are Avengers of Health with a little bit different gear today. Well, we're on deck in Tucson, Arizona today at the world headquarters of Bonnie Pruden Myotherapy doing a show called Keep Fit and Be Happy, which was Bonnie Pruden's theme. And we're with Enid Whitaker from the Bonnie Pruden Myotherapy Institute. Welcome to Lean Brace. Thanks for having me. And we've had a lot of fun this weekend going over the life and times of Bonnie Pruden and her work. And, and for the people that don't know who Bonnie Pruden is, she was one of the fitness icons in America for decades. And, and uh, I first came across her name when studying the history of back pain with Dr. Krauss Weber. And if you get into Dr. Krauss Weber and the KW test much, you're going to find Bonnie Pruden's name. And it, it was a really interesting experience o- opening up that Bonnie Pruden door and seeing what was behind it. And it's just, uh, I've been humbled this weekend looking at a small portion of, of the work that she did. She was busy all her life. She never stopped. <laughs> right. And so we're here, this show, we're going to do a couple shows with Enid, and this one um, we're going to keep it focused on on basically Bonnie's life and work, and then the, the other show we're going to do is going to get into a little more of the details of the Krauss-Weber test and why that test is important, but we'll reference it a little bit in this show. Actually, it was a very famous test that got national attention and got Bonnie a trip to the White House and all kinds of national... Uh, media accolades and lots of stuff developed out of the the KW test. But to get into Bonnie um, and a little bit about your background, first, you have a BS in physical education, 1960 University of New Hampshire. Right. So you were a, you were a active physical education teacher. Yep. And I taught at all grade levels, elementary, college, adult education. Mm-hmm. And then you became acquainted with Bonnie through one of her traveling workshops. Yeah, she was giving a workshop in Concord, New Hampshire, and I went up to see what that lady did mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, changed my life. And she had been in the business for a while by the time you met her. Right. I yeah. met her in um, 1971, January, just about this time. Okay. Now, uh, to trace Bonnie's life back a little bit, uh, you want to give a short uh, description of where she's from and... Childhood. Yeah, she grew up in um, Mount Vernon, New York, mm-hmm. and um, she had a book-loving mother and athletic father. Mm-hmm. And you probably could say that she started her career around four when she started climbing out her second-story nursery window and going visiting in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And after about the third time that people called the mother up and said, "Come get this kid," yeah, um, her mother really got worried and took her to the doctor. The doctor said something very important. There's nothing wrong with this child that discipline and exhaustion won't cure. Put her in the Russian ballet school. Mm-hmm. So she was enrolled in the Russian ballet school and three times a week, and she didn't have the energy to climb off the window anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which which is an interesting point, because we'll spin this back to uh, the current and why why the lean braids are interested in studying the the his, history of fitness. When we really dig into the archives, we learn that uh, much of the best information on health and fitness is actually older. It's not something 
cutting edge. It has laser technology. It's, it's what people were using decades ago. And Bonnie Pruden was a product of the golden era of fitness, which was from 1885 to 1920. But because of her birth date and the people that she was around and who she trained under, she was able to learn uh, the German system, and she studied with the Swedish fitness school too. F- Finnish. The Finnish, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of these historical, uh, the Turner Halls, the, those types of things that we've been talking a little bit about, she knew and used and brought forward. And so today we have all these kids that have energy, and what do we do? We put them on Ritalin and, and drugs, and for Bonnie's uh, generation, it was a little bit different approach, and look what came out of it. Right, well... In those days, you walked everywhere. There was no television. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they had a phone. You only used the car on weekends, Mm -hmm. and the father drove. Right. Otherwise, the car was in the garage. Mm -hmm. Um, And she built all of her equipment that she designed after the things that she did in childhood, like walk on the fence, Mm -hmm. jump over boulders, Mm -hmm. you know, um, walk along the sides of things. So, So she recreated her childhood um, activities in very simple equipment that could be used in hundreds of different ways depending on who was using it and what they needed to mm-hmm. accomplish physically. In her 1959 fitness book, which I found a hardback copy to, she has a whole section in the back on how to build your own um, pull-up bar system and, and a mm-hmm. balance beam system, which was really interesting when I looked at those. I remember sending the picture out to my friends that those balance beams that she had were, they looked like four or five feet off the ground. They weren't two inches like today. There were some, a few inches, and then mm-hmm. others were. Yeah. Yeah, she even had ropes in the air that they walked along. Oh, they walked Yeah, mm-hmm. the slack lines are big now, mm-hmm. so that that's the webbing, but mm-hmm. so she was doing it with ropes. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, she did a lot with the uh, sawhorses as well, I noticed. Yep, sawhorses, those were like fences Okay, that you jumped over. Or if you were little, you crawled under them. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to hang, hang tires from them, too, so the kids crawled through the tires. Mm. So you could use them in just numerous ways, depending on how good your creativity was. Mm-hmm. So that's one, one of the things I, I like about Bonnie Pruden's work is she... Uh, was very much for the people, from what I know. She wanted people to have ownership of that at home, and she did a lot of uh, books and articles and TV shows really um, targeted for the the family fitness. Well, the, the way she started out was that when her daughter went into public school mm-hmm. at about the third grade, she went to see what the physical education class was, and it was a game. A little girl threw the ball up and the other one and called a number and the other one strolled in and caught the ball maybe mm-hmm. and that went on for 20 minutes and she said I can do better than this because right. she had a dance background and she was asle- athletic mm-hmm. um, during her growing up years she, her mother enrolled her in all kinds of classes um, elocution and violin and piano and and she loved anatomy she was the she was like a neighborhood vet and she loved animals and she was always trying to take care of them. Mm. So she had that athletic quality, but also this caring quality. And both of those things combined to bring out this amazing person who mm-hmm. who understood people very, very well and understood the body very well. Mm-hmm. And combined that what 
her whole life was not about her. It was about how can she help? How can she help? Right, and that's the noble purpose. That's something we've been focusing on at the Lean Berets um, with our work, and we want to take that forward, especially in 2014, is, is to have a noble purpose to what we do. And for her, we were talking about this the other day, um, she was very patriotic, and she recognized the, the diminishing fitness as a national security crisis, which was, we'll get into more of that with the KW Krauss-Weber test show, but um, there was a national concern in World War II and coming out of that, that we we weren't fit enough to do a good job defending ourselves. So she had a noble purpose to her work and and really wanted to help America, not just get on TV. And right when after she saw this, uh, her daughter's gym class, she said to each of her girls, "You invite five friends, and you invite friend five friends, and we'll meet in the Girl Scout house, mm-hmm. and um, we'll exercise." And that night. Two mothers called her and said they didn't want their girls to exercise because they get muscles. <laughs> you know, some <laughs> so, things never change. So, <laughs> so Bonnie, being Bonnie, said, "Well, under every curve is a muscle. No curve, uh, no muscle, no curve. No curve, no boyfriend." <laughs> and in those days, the thing was to right. get married. <laughs> right. So instead of calling it exercise, she called it conditioning because nobody knew what that was. And now, look, that's kind of the term, right? Right, yeah. So she was, uh, let's see, she was born in 1914? 1914, Just yeah. to place her her, mm-hmm. um, her life on a timeline. So it's, hard, it's hard to know where to start with Bonnie Pruden because there, <laughs> there are so many layers to her, and her, her work volume, um, being here looking at um, her archives is, is, is just immense. I mean, she touched so many different areas. Of fitness, uh, one thing I'd like to mention though is she was a a world class rock climber in an era that uh, had very uh, crude or rudimentary uh, safety protection equipment compared to the exotic alloy carabiners of today and and fall prevention that the the, the climbers have. She was climbing in some like Converse shoes and hemp ropes and tying her own uh, knots and and her husband actually invented a piton. Was oh, called oh, really? Dick's, I think it was called Dick's Piton, yeah. Hmm. I have one in the other room. I'll show you. Oh, well, I'll have to get the <laughs> climbing gear out. So she met Hans Kraus, uh, Dr. Hans Kraus through through climbing uh, in that climbing area in New York, like the Shawangunks? Shawangunks. Shawangunks, yeah. Gunks, yes. they're called. Right. The Gunks, yeah. Yeah. And by some sources, uh, she's still considered today potentially the best climber in America, period, mm-hmm. because of what she did with the equipment she had. Um, the modern day female climbers really revere that. Mm-hmm. She had she had the body to do what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. When when she married, um, her honeymoon was the Matterhorn, <laughs> <laughs> and that was after one uh, one lesson and a pair of new boots. Oh wow! And um, so that was her introduction. Mm-hmm. And her husband um, was a climber and a skier, so those are the things that she started doing mm-hmm. with him. When she was just 23, right after she got married, they were up at um, in Vermont at Suicide 6. Mm-hmm. And she had a pair of skis. She'd never skied, but he said, oh, you can do it, Bonnie. You mm-hmm. know, you've got good balance. You're a dancer. Mm-hmm. So she started down the hill, but she didn't know how to stop. Mm-hmm. So she sat down, and there happened to be a rock under where she sat. Mm-hmm. So it exploded her pelvis, and it was fractured in 
five places, four or five places. So she was strung up in traction for three months. And after she got out of the traction and out of the casts and everything, she was very, very weak. Mm-hmm. Almost as if, you know, she had never done anything. And one day she was sitting on, on the side of the bed and there was some music on and she started tapping her feet. And she moved to the chair and she made some more movements. Mm-hmm. And she really rehabbed herself through chair exercise that she developed mm-hmm. and in the water. Mm. And they had told her she'd never ski again, she'd never climb again, she shouldn't have children, she'd always limp. So she thumbed her nose at them and went on. <laughs> and proved all that wrong. Yeah, and it became the first woman to have a National Ski Patrol badge. Really? Yep. And then after that, she thought, well, you know, you really need to be fit to ski, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. So she developed what was called the Adelpate Ski Club in 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 that area, in the Westchester, New York area. Mm-hmm. And she had a 1,000 kids go o- o- over a period of 11 years, and it was a dry ski school. Mm-hmm. They had their boots, their skis. Everybody had the same color shirt and pants, so they were a team. And they did all of her exercises but on skis and to music. Oh, wow. So nobody ever had a, sh- a fracture or anything in those 11 years that, all of those kids went through ski school. They were from 8 to 18. Hmm. Well, this is one of these many areas that we can peel back just as uh, we decide to in the show, but she used music extensively. And as we have studied history, we have found that to be prevalent um, in the classical physical education approach where they use that uh, four to eight count and marching beats and and having done the workshop with myotherapy in Tucson last November, we did a lot of exercise with music and uh, the waltz music. And it was just really interesting because you're using music not as just background noise, but as a, a, a like a metronome beat count. And she was good with that. Well, she lived by three things, change, challenge, and music. Mm-hmm. She, she really understood Americans. She said they'd do anything to music. <laughs> so she never... Um, she never did one exercise more than 8 or 16 beats for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be bored. Mm-hmm. And when you change the exercise to a different part of the body or using the body a different way, you're not going to get that soreness that you get with so many other physical classes that you might take in the gym or right. aerobics or so forth. And then the challenge part of it was you can take a basic exercise and change it so it's more intense, um, it um, it allows you to develop um, stronger areas mm-hmm. depending on what you need. So you just vary the intensity of it or change it a bit. And then the music lifts the spirit. It keeps everybody at th- on the same beat. You don't have to count. The music tells you what to do. It tells you whether to skip or to to do slow catwalks or mm-hmm. whatever needs to be done. You were showing me a little uh, choreograph lesson that Bonnie <laughs> taught you and actually taught all the myotherapists that you ha- actually had a school at one point mm-hmm. where people came through and did myotherapy. We'll talk a little bit more about myotherapy in a minute. Well, she always had a way of simplifying whatever she was teaching mm-hmm. so that everybody could understand it. But it wasn't dumbed down mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you felt like an idiot. Right. It was practical. Mm-hmm. She had 
uncommon common sense. Right. And another layer with her is she, she had a way with words. You said she always knew what to say, and you never knew what she would say. Right. <laughs> no matter what the situation. And, and for people that don't know, I mean, she's a fitness icon. If you don't know Bonnie Pruden, you really need to get into the books and research her. We'll, we'll, we have some stuff on our website that will um, tie into this show. But, I mean, she was a person that taught a 1,000 people at Madison Square Garden. Um, and when she started those with the 10 kids. Uh-huh. In six weeks, there were 75. And then a few weeks after that, there were hundreds. So and she had a real gift with people. She, yes. Mm-hmm. And with, with making things appropriate and fun. Mm-hmm. She said, if you're going to exercise, you better be having fun at the same time. Right. Something we talked about before the show, there's kind of two camps if you go back in the history of P.E., where you have the more structured exercise, which faded around 1920, and then the, the play and the sports and games came in. And Bonnie was one of those people that seemed to have a balance. She could mix both. She understood the structured part and how important that was because she was raised in that environment. But she also knew how to do play and games and make it fun for everybody. And she, she got the best out of both worlds, I think. There's... Um there's a difference in Bonnie's program and other programs, I think. Mm-hmm. Once you understood and knew the bi- basic Bonnie Prudent program, you could adapt it to any age group or ability. It didn't matter it was whether it was prenatal and baby exercise or whether it was nursing home or assisted living kind of thing. She did um, workshops for the um, or programs for the emotionally and physically challenged. She did a um, talking book for the blind. Mm. called Physical Fitness for You. Mm-hmm. So she really knew how to take something basic and make it applicable to every single age group. Whereas if you look back at other fitness people, whether they're now or then, they basically keyed in on one particular thing or mm-hmm. one particular age group. Right. But Bonnie's focus in the beginning was really children because that's where it all starts. If you're fit from if you have a good body and build it from between birth and six then it carries you for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. um we work with dr ed thomas and he had mentioned uh speaking to bonnie a few times on the phone and he said one of the things that she reflected on towards the end of her life was a direction that we went wrong in this country um she said we kind of turned her back on the, the youth focus, the kids. So she was very dedicated to helping the children first, it sounds like. For sure, because when she, what happened was that when she had all of these kids coming to her mm-hmm. with this program, all of a sudden she's thinking, well, I wonder if my program is really effective. Mm-hmm. So this is where Dr. Krause comes in, because he was a, her climbing mentor, mm-hmm. and they were sitting up on a ledge one day, <laughs> And she said, do you have a, a test that I can use so that I know how good my program is? And mm-hmm. he suggested the Krauss-Weber test. Right. So that's when she started using it. And what she found was that the new kids that came in flunked the test, and it was a minimum test for strength and flexibility of key posture muscles. They flunked it at almost 60%. And the children that had been with her only flunked it at 6 and 7%. So... Right then, she said, America is in trouble. 
And that was uh, late 40s? Yeah, late yeah. 40s. So fast forward a few and, years. And it, yeah. and it wasn't, oh, my program must be good or must be bad or whatever. America is in trouble. Right. She saw it like a light bulb. Mm-hmm. And she was frantic mm-hmm. because, um, you know, the war the war was was had just wound down and mm-hmm. and um she knew that the all the recruits had a lot of them had not made it right and um and she thought well what are we going to do now if we don't have kids that are fit what's going to happen to america right which is kind of where we're at again was funny because yesterday we were going through Bonnie's archives and and decades and decades of articles and books and and I I had to laugh and it, it's sad but it's it's funny and at the same time because these issues we have today with our kids fit enough and our do we have a national security issue with our lack of fitness and they were dealing with this decades and decades ago yeah when she and and when she and Kraus um, they tested thousands and thousands of American children between the ages of 6 and 16 and got about a 58% failure. And then they went over to um, to Austria and Switzerland and Italy and tested, and there was only like an 8% failure. Right. And when they came back and reported that, they uh, started writing articles and so forth, and then Eisenhower invited them to the White House to a meeting where they told you know gave their report the statistics Bonnie did the Krauss Weber test she talked Eisenhower through the test mm-hmm. <laughs> and um she said she was spitless but he smiled and that made her feel very good <laughs> <laughs> and then he came up later and thanked her for what she'd done mm-hmm. and then Krauss um reported on what that meant um in other words if we didn't get moving we were going to have obesity heart attacks, uh, diabetes, all the things that you that are epidemic now right. were predicted back in 1955 at that meeting. Right. And that was the catalyst for Bonnie's uh, career, really, because after that, she really got into the mainstream uh, national spotlight. She was basically propelled <laughs> yeah. into... And, and pulled and... Yeah, and because she was so good at what she did and, and knew her subject matter so well and and was so passionate about it, people listened. Mm-hmm. And they wanted her on every show that there was. Mm-hmm. And wa- everybody wanted to interview her. And so that's why when you come here and look at the history, there's so much of it because she really never... S- she in, I, I looked at a s- one of her schedules and she was in a different place in Philadelphia every hour doing something different. Wow. Yeah. Now, a lot of people know Jack O'Lane. He had a TV show f- for decades, and I think he was in the World Book of Records for having the longest-running single-topic show. But at the same time, Bonnie Pruden was in the national media, and she was doing uh, syndicated TV and and quite popular as well. The first, f- One of the first things that happened was that she started to design... Um, fitness clothing mm-hmm. because there wasn't any and she as a dancer she knew about clothing for dancers and she had a friend at Capizio and they kind of worked together to develop these n- new fitness fashions and then Arlene Francis 
noted that because she was she was in magazines with this new fitness stuff. Arlene Francis invited her to come on the home show. And when that closed, she went on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And she was there for almost three years. And the reason that she got off was because they were putting a diet pill uh, commercial in front of her spot. Mm-hmm. And people were thinking that she was endorsing it, and she wasn't. She thought it was dangerous. Right. And she said, either you take that spot away or I'm not here. And they said, well, it's part of our contract with them that it's next to you. Oh. So she said, well, then I'm gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's how she was. She, she thought about people. Right. And she never endorsed anything that she didn't believe in and that she hadn't researched. Like she, she did not endorse Coca-Cola, even though she was asked to, or Bond Bread, or Tang, or Icy Hot, or any number of things that might have brought her millions. Mm-hmm. But she just wouldn't do it. She had a high level of integrity. The, you know, mm-hmm. the more I read about her, a lot of honor, a lot of integrity. Um, she didn't lie and cheat people. And and she passed away that way. I mean, she had her dignity when... And mm-hmm. she would she passed away in 2012, 2011? 11. Okay. So she's been... Just a, about two years ago. Okay. But all the way through her whole life, that's how she lived and, and, and conducted o- business. The other... Th- there are a couple of things that she used to say and live by, which one of them was, nothing wonderful happens while you wait. Mm. <laughs> and the other one was, it doesn't do any good to complain unless you've figured out what to do about it. Right. So she, I never heard her complain about anything. Mm. If something didn't work, she found another way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. She always had a way with words and knowing what to do at the right time. She had a innate sense of timing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She was very funny. She had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. As I mean, I knew her for over 40 years, and lo- although she was predictable in some ways, she was very unpredictable because I never knew what she was going to say, mm-hmm. what was going to come out of her mouth. And it was usually short and profound. <laughs> like to the I, point. <laughs> I, like I can remember we were in uh, Florida at a hospital doing a, a lecture demo, and she did her demo. And then she asked if anybody had questions, and this guy raised his hand. He said, you didn't say anything about aerobics. And she said, we've ruined our chassis to save our motors. Yeah, that says a lot in just a few words, right? That's You You mentioned that in November when I was here, and I told my wife about it, and she's, she was just fascinated with that statement. And that's essentially what a lot of people are still doing. Mm-hmm. So she understood, you know... Um, Gosh, she did so many things the first time. I mean, she was the innovator of, of fitness clothing mm-hmm. for women. I mean, that just wasn't done until she came on board. So there's just so many areas to talk about. Um, but her her way of doing things was so family fitness-oriented. So in the late 50s, I've got um, a couple of her albums. And she produced these vinyl LP albums. And then you take the album out, and then you'd have this fold-out poster that had uh, pictures of the exercises, and then she would have music, and she was voicing over the music. And though, like hundreds of thousands of families, and especially women in America, would exercise to these Bonnie Pruden albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the same way with her syndicated shows that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And her shows were not like any other shows. They were half hour long, 
they had a mailbag segment where people wrote in and she answered their questions. Mm -hmm. They had an exercise segment, and then she interviewed somebody. And the things that she talked about, nobody else was talking about that same at that time. She was talking about divorce, suicide, depression, hmm. as well as fitness for the family. Right. So she really was so far ahead of her time mm -hmm. and, and not afraid to step out and say what she thought because she figured if she was depressed... Everybody else was depressed, too, or a good portion. Right, and so that's a hot topic now is the emotional health yeah. of people. But but if you, we have some of her old um, TV shows, and they're just remarkable. One was done on When Johnny Comes Marching Home. It's just applicable, as applicable now as it was when she made it in the early 60s about who, how do you talk to the guy that, or the girl that comes home from war? What do you do? How mm. do you how do you meet them and you know welcome them back? And in those days, they didn't really talk much about that. No, they didn't. People just shoved it under the surface and, mm -hmm. and went on. Mm -hmm. So I, you have um, those exercise albums converted to uh, DVD now. Yeah, we do. And uh, Lori Drummond is the actress, uh, mm -hmm. myotherapist. Uh, <laughs> in the videos, and I've done both those videos, and I was thinking when I was, you know, sweating and trying to keep up with Bonnie that this is a, this was something that essentially housewives in the 50s would do and just blast through it, and and I'm thinking, wow, this is actually kind of difficult, you know, so <laughs> our fitness levels have changed quite a bit just in terms of, you had a funny story, and it ties into this, when she was on the Today Show with the professional football team. Oh. And, and she was out front, and she couldn't see them behind her. And yeah, she. they asked her to come um, and do a show with the Baltimore Colts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she was down there, and and as she describes it, I mean, she was only 5'3". And, um, and these hooded things that looked like monoliths came <laughs> out, <laughs> and they were... They were in back of her, mm -hmm. and she was in front of them leading, and her back was to them, and she's in her shorts and her little shirt, and she's leading them through some e what she thought was easy stuff. Right. And um, so then she, and, and the cameramen and all the producers, they were almost rolling on the floor, and they gave her the stretch sign that meant keep going. So then she started adding harder ones, and they continued laughing and she didn't know what was going on and so she added some harder ones and pretty soon she started to hear bad words and hard, <laughs> hard breathing <laughs> and when she finally looked around most of them were dead on the on the floor oh wow and she was doing good. but they had the strength but they didn't have the flexibility right and that was the difference they yeah. were worn out mm -hmm. from their muscles being so tight they couldn't they couldn't do what she could do. Which is a nice segue into um, the work of her last few decades, which is myotherapy. So in the beginning, she was an avid skier and world-class rock climber, got hooked up with uh, Dr. Hans Krauss and became part of that whole KW testing and, and how to fix back pain, and then went on to be a quite the fitness programmer for families and, and just about anybody that wanted to exercise. But towards the end... 
she got more into the trigger point release, which was part of Krauss's um, original work too with healing back pain. But she, Bonnie discovered that you could do it with pressure, not the dry needles. Well, what, what happened was because of the ski accident where she fractured her pelvis, mm -hmm. she started to get backache um, when her marriage started to go on the rocks. Mm. And and she wore a back brace. Mm. And and she was in agony a lot of the time. She she was on the, you know, she'd be on the floor. Um, and she couldn't move for days at a time. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. hmm. This was back when she was married. Oh, okay. When she was a young housewife. Oh. And one day, Krauss saw the back brace, and he said, well, what's the matter? And she told him, and he said, well, I can help you. So um, she started getting trigger point injections from him. Mm -hmm. and Which is how they used to be done. Now, Do they still do that? Yes, they still do that. Okay. And they're excruciating. Mm. And then another time when they were climbing, um, she or they were about to climb. She got she had a stiff neck, and she said, "I I you know I really can't climb today. I have a stiff neck." Well, he took his thumb. Krauss took his thumb and stuck it in her neck. Mm -hmm. She thought she said, "I thought it was coming out my eye," but when he <laughs> finished, her neck was fine, and they went climbing. And she didn't even think anything more about it until 1976, mm -hmm. when um, it, well prior to that, she was trying to save her hip. Um, because it, everything had gone into spasm because she was so off-kilter from the old injury. Right. So she started going to Dr. Janet Travell, who was one of Kennedy's White House doctors. Right. And so was Dr. Krauss. Right, I never read but about But he them. was the secret doctor. Nobody knew he was there. Right. But he actually did more for, for Kennedy than Dr. Travell did, but she got all the kudos. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she went to Dr. Travell, who was in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Travell gave her hundreds and hundreds of injections over a period of about six months. And it didn't help her hip. It made it possible for her to continue, but it was not the, the fix. Right. And so she eventually got her hip replaced in 1970. Wow, they were doing them. Back that then. was one of the first ones. It she, had to be, yeah. She she was so young that they didn't want to do it on her, oh. and they and she convinced them that really, if she didn't have it, she wasn't going to have a career. Oh, yeah, because her livelihood was yeah revolving around movement mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. oh. So she had that, and um, she rehabbed herself in the water mm -hmm. and on the gym floor. It took a while, but um, she went she went back, and she didn't. You know, she was fine. Hmm. She was, didn't have a limp, and, and nobody would ever known, have known that she had a total hip. And hmm. then in 1980, the second one went. But by that time, she knew about, she had developed myotherapy. And the way that happened was, uh, she, at that point, she was in the Berkshires, and she had built an institute there in Stockbridge, Mass. And there was a British doctor there, he was an internist, and he wanted to do trigger point injections because he believed in them, but he didn't know how to find the trigger points. Uh -huh. So because of all her experience with Carlos and Travell, she knew how to find the trigger points, where, would, where they would probably be. So he would send her a patient. She would mark where the trigger point was, mark a little smiley face and an arrow indicating which way he should shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then the person would go back over to Dr. Tyvee. He would shoot the trigger points, 
send them back her to her for the corrective exercise. Mm. And one day when she was looking for the trigger point, she doesn't really even know what she did, whether she pushed a little harder or a little longer or a little bit differently. And the woman said, oh, wow, my neck doesn't hurt anymore. And she remembered Krauss uh, right. pushing on her neck. With the manual pressure. With the manual pressure, because he didn't have his needles. They right. were on a way to mm-hmm. climb. And then the next person came in, and they had a shoulder. When they left, the woman's arm was in the air. She could put on her own shirt. Just using finger pressure at yeah. that point. She wasn't using elbows in it. She's just using fingers. Just fingers and knuckles. And then the third patient was somebody with low back pain mm-hmm. who was a chiropractor. And um, Bonnie said, well, I just learned this new thing, but um, I, I don't think I can get it with my, my fingers aren't strong enough to go in your your seat area. And she said, use your elbow, use your knee, use whatever. <laughs> and so Bonnie used her elbow. Uh-huh. Because she said, if I go over to Dr. Tyvee, I'll have a big bruise and a hematoma. And she had to go somewhere. So she, that's when Bonnie started using her elbows. And mm. then Dr. Tyvee says, well, how come my patients aren't coming back to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I found. <laughs> And he was actually the one that coined the, the, the word myotherapy. Okay. And then from there, they started actually making formal maps of these trigger point locations yeah. that developed into the, for, the system you have now. For four years, she researched, and we all worked together. We experimented on one another, mm-hmm. and um, she came up with the formula. Mm. And then she wrote Pain Erasure, the Bonnie Pruden Way. Mm-hmm. It was a bestseller. We went on the road. It Um, M. Evans was the publisher, and we went to almost every city in the United States, I think. Really? We were on the road for over a year. Wow. With that book. Nonstop. Nonstop. That was 1980. 1980, yeah. And it's still a good book. I I read it a couple months It's still in print. It's never been out of print, so it must work. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, she wrote Myotherapy, Bonnie Pruden's Complete Guide to Pain-Free Living, Mm -hmm. and that really has a focus of occupational and sports-related injuries. Mm-hmm. And then two years after that, she wrote uh, Bonnie Pruden's After 50 Fitness Guide, which is a combination of myotherapy and a fitness program for older people. Mm-hmm. And when she wrote that, she was 75, and she was she did all the pictures for the book. Oh, wow. She was the model for the book. <laughs> and she remained uh, up, up until... The very end, she remained pretty fit and upright and active. Yeah, in in the early in early two thousand one, I think it was, um, she had to have the second hip um, redone, mm-hmm. and by then we were in Tucson, and we found a really nice doctor who was fun and knew mm-hmm. what he was doing. So he he redid her hip, and. Um, Mostly she had to use the pool. So we would be in the pool for an hour every day. And even in the winter, it was heated. And that's the way she got most of her exercise um, for the last 10 years of her life. Which is another layer of Bonnie Pruden, because there are a lot of people that specialize just in aqua aerobics or aqua exercise. But that is, we could talk probably for days just on her water Mm-hmm. exercise programs. Yeah. After her second hip, which was in 1980, um, she developed 
a water program just for hippies, she called them, a mm-hmm. water program for hippies, rehab. Mm-hmm. And she had numbers of people who were going to have hip replacements, and she had a what's called a Japanese bath in Stockbridge. It was um, like five feet deep, um, five feet long, five or six feet long, and four feet wide, and it was filled with hot water. Mm. And so... She would get. She would do the myotherapy, get them into the to Japanese bath, show them what to do, and one of the myotherapists would get in with the person, and then they would have their their aqua therapy, and then they were ready for their surgery because their muscles were still doing well, mm-hmm. and the water allowed them to do well because it takes the pressure off everything and the weight off everything. It offers resistance. So when you get into the history of fitness, you start learning more about uh, relaxation. And a lot of the fitness programming today and those popular programs don't use that to their advantage very much. But that's also been tied into the back pain and a lot of just pain in general. Um, It makes muscles short and tight. And uh, this helps us qualify the trigger points just a little bit. For people that don't know what a trigger point is, it's kind of like a, a neurological knot that can... It's an irritable spot. Well, thanks a lot, Eden. We'd had a, we had a great show today, and we've covered, I think we've done a pretty good job covering the history of, of Bonnie and Hans Krauss and moving forward into the Krauss-Weber test a little bit and the President's Fitness Council and myotherapy and and uh, Donnie, uh, uh, Bonnie's you know fitness choreography and how she used music. I mean, it, it's hard to have, you know cover her whole life and and one show but we appreciate your time explaining that to us. I enjoyed it very much. So where uh we've covered the history really well but where's where's the Bonnie Prude Myotherapy Institute today in in 2014? What's going on? Well, we're here in Tucson and most of the people who were around Bonnie were around her for, you know, 25, 35, 45 years. So we're carrying on. We're doing what she wanted us to do. So mm-hmm. We're holding workshops where in different, different colleges, um, teaching classes, going to workshops around the country and so forth. And we hold our own workshops here in Tucson where we teach you the basics of myotherapy in a weekend. And right, and that's, what, next, that's what I did last November. It was, it was a great right, experience. Right. right. And the next one coming up is March 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And um, it's on our website. You can go there and, and look at it and sign up or you can call in and sign up cool and my wife candace will be there as well and i've had the pleasure of meeting uh, uh, quite a few myotherapists in the last uh well six to eight months and we had two of them down to a workshop we did with dr ed thomas at cal state northridge in los angeles and that went really well uh it was fascinating because um, some of the people there quite a few hadn't seen that myotherapy technique and they were really appreciative of that knowledge. And then, of course, Bonnie wrote a number of books, and she had an amazing writing career and a number of videos, as we mentioned. But you guys have a store on your website with some products we for sale? Store. Yeah, we have a store on our website. So if you can't get to a workshop, you can uh, get books and self-help tools and DVDs that uh, Bonnie goes step-by-step step to show you how to get rid of back pain, for instance. So it's kind of like having a little mini workshop in your living room. Right. Um, we also have some videos, educational videos, on the web- website, so you can take a look at 
the techniques of myotherapy. Mm-hmm. In fact, I did the uh, the second fitness video last night in my garage uh, with Lori and Bonnie, and I I must admit that I could not keep up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> so, if you if you if you have, a, you you might want to re uh, reconceptualize the nineteen fifties nineteen sixties American female at home and what she was capable of doing because the the movements are very crisp. You know that's one of the things I noticed with Bonnie's exercise videos. They're very crisp and clean and very chop well, chop. Reason they're crisp and clean is because you hit the beat because there's music there. Right. Right. So you have to end on the beat and start on the beat and that means everybody stays together if you're doing it with a group. Yeah, it was great. And you know, there's some movements in there that I've I've never really seen anyone else do and I, I can see the benefit. So hopefully people will check that out. And how do they get a hold of the Bonnie Pruden Myotherapy Institute in Tucson? And our our website is bonniepruden.com, B O N N I E Pruden P R U D D two D's E N. Okay. And the phone number? Uh All right. Well, this this has been Edith Whitaker with Ron Jones. And again, thanks so much for coming on in our uh, first show on Bonnie Pruden Myotherapy called Keep Fit and Be Happy. That's right. That's what she used to say. Keep fit, be happy. You've been listening to Lean Braze Radio Show at theleanbraze.com Music today provided by Henry Mancini Until next time, keep moving for a noble purpose No excuses No excuses